On today's episode of the Training Peaks Coachcast, your source for the latest information about the art, science, and business of coaching. How much of an athlete's performance is dependent on their mental toughness? Chances are you already know mental toughness plays an important role in an athlete's ability to reach their full potential. But are you doing everything you can to help your athletes grow mentally as well as physically? Hey guys, Dave here, and this week we are talking about the mental game. Whether you call it hitting the wall, bonking, or cracking, we've all been there, or our athletes have been there. But even though we're well aware of the role that our mind plays in performance, very few of us actually pay attention in developing that in our athletes. I sat down with Joanna Zeiger, 70.3 world champion, Olympian, researcher, author, the list goes on and on, to discuss mental toughness. Joanna has been in the Training Peaks office putting together a course on mental toughness. She is also the author of A Champion Mindset, An Athlete's Guide to Mental Toughness. Mental toughness has played a huge role in her career. She's dealt with the highs of being at the top of her sport and the lows of a career-ending injury and chronic pain. We also talked about how you, as a coach, can assess your athlete's current mental toughness and then improve it through practice. So today we are joined by Joanna Zeiger. Um, Thanks for joining us today. It's my pleasure to be here. Awesome. Um, So one of the reasons we wanted to talk today is that you've been spending a lot of time in the Training Peaks office recording an online course around mental toughness. Um, You recently authored a book called The Champion Mindset, an Athlete's Guide to Mental Toughness. And that's really what we wanted to talk to you about is what have you learned about mental toughness and how can coaches apply that to coaching their athletes? Um, So before we get into that, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of your history and what led you on this path to um, researching mental toughness. Well, I began my athletic career as a swimmer and I transitioned to triathlon uh, shortly after I graduated college. And then I turned professional a few years after that. I would say if there's one thing that has defined my entire athletic career from the time I was a swimmer to triathlete and now as a master's runner has been overcoming adversity. I've always had a lot of ups and downs. I've had some injuries. I have asthma. Uh, you know, I, I've had bike accidents. There, there's been a lot of things standing in my way of success. And I've been able to overcome a lot of those through mental toughness. And in my years of my own struggles and then coaching other people through their struggles, I became very interested in writing a book about mental toughness to share my experiences and looking at what the literature had to say about mental toughness, how that can be applied to athletes and coaches so that they can make improvements. And so the Champion Mindset was my my project to bring that to people And in writing that book, it really piqued my curiosity about mental toughness. So I decided to do a study in 2016, which I called the Sisu study, uh, Sisu being the Finnish word for grit, looking at mental toughness and endurance athletes. And because of the study, I decided to take it one more step and uh, do the course, the mental toughness course. Yeah. And so I, you know, looking back at your history, you had a, you talked about overcoming some adversity and there was something um, pretty significant that happened. I think it was 2009 during one of the world championships. Um, it, would you speak a little bit to that and um, talk about did that influence um, your pursuit as well? Well, in 2008, I won the Ironman 70.3 World Championships. It was one of the highlights of my career. It was one of those very few perfect days that we have as athletes. 
And 2009 was a bit of a rocky year, but pulled things together in time for the world championships, only to have a terrible bike crash toward the end of the bike ride. I was reaching for a water bottle. The person handing the bottle did not let go. And so we had a little tug of war, which I lost and uh, ended up flipping over the front of my bike, breaking my collarbone and doing pretty severe damage to my right rib cage, which uh, has required nine surgeries over the years. And I have permanent nerve damage in my intercostal nerves. So on a very daily basis, I suffer with chronic pain and trying to manage the pain and my health issues with trying to live a complete daily life. When I first had my accident, I was 39 years old. And when I was in the emergency room, my goal was to be the first 40-year-old world champion in the sport of triathlon. And at that time, I really had no idea that my career was going to be over but I was incredibly optimistic and angry and frustrated. And so that was my plan. And in doing so, I decided to blog about my recovery from the injury and the journey toward hoping to be a 40-year-old world champion. And my blog was called Fast at 40. And I was very open about uh, my injury and the struggles I had and a lot of the mental toughness that it took to get through the the injury, the post-traumatic stress, uh, some anxiety I had on the bike, getting back to racing, the difficulties with that. And from those blog posts came the book. And so, you know, you said that ultimately led to you having to retire from the sport. You weren't able to race anymore. Um, And I think I recall as we were recording one of the segments for the online course, you mentioned just mental toughness, like not only in sport, but also in life, that it can help in all aspects of your life. And I imagine that you had to kind of go to that well often when you were going through that and and perhaps even still to this day. So how has your own experience helped sculpt you as a coach and how do you apply that to your athletes now? Well, there's no doubt that having mental toughness as an athlete has prepared me for the mental toughness I need as a person dealing with uh, major health problems and chronic pain and all of the things that you need to do to be successful in training and racing, perseverance, determination, positive self-talk, visualization, those are all applicable to all parts of our life. And so I apply that to my health, dealings with my health. But the other thing that has really um, happened through this is that I am a much better coach because I'm way more empathetic to the issues of my athletes. It's made me a better problem solver. So even if I don't exactly know what's going on with an athlete, I, I have much better skills now to help them work through it and to delve deeper into the psychology of why people's performances may be lackluster and some of the things that are not physical that are holding them back. And so it's really opened my mind to be able to talk to that, uh, to talk to my athletes about that. That's really interesting. So how, you know, sometimes it's you're walking that fine line um, as a coach, telling them to harden up and kind of go on with the session, or when is it time to pull back? And so what have you found? What are some tools that maybe coaches could work on to help get a better idea of when is it time to push an athlete and when is it time to rein them back a little bit? I think so much of that depends on the athlete. What I have found, probably 95% of the athletes I've coached over the last 15 years do not need someone to push them. They need somebody to hold them back. Athletes are very good at pushing themselves. I always say that it's, it's really easy to train hard. It's very difficult to rest and to go easy and to back off. So more often than not, I'm actually reining them in and saying to them, hey, your, your easy runs are too hard. You're putting out too many watts going up the hills. Your, you know, your recovery swim should not be a master's workout where you're just pounding it out. And so most of the time, it's, it's not about giving them the push. It's about 
hey, you know, take a step back. Don't be so hard on yourself. It's okay to go a little bit easier. Even today, I got an uh, email from an athlete who, well, is it okay if I stop and walk between intervals? Like, yes, if you need to regroup and walk, go ahead and walk. But there's this, you know, uncertainty that they have that they need to be going hard all the time. Right. And I I think I was reading in your book, too, when you were talking about just now that we have access to social media and people are putting their workouts out there, that it's really hard when you're seeing what other people doing to kind of stay true to your own plan and stay true to yourself as far as doing that easy day, even though you see somebody else is out there crushing their threshold intervals or what have you. So what advice would you have for an athlete as far as, you know, Strava, those sorts of things where everything's on social media now? Well, before Strava, it was really easy to say to people, well, just cut in half what they're doing. It's probably a lie anyway. But people are actually posting what they are doing. And it's really detrimental to the mental health of athletes because they feel that their competitor is doing more. They see that some pro is doing 100 miles a week. That seems to be the, you know, this holy grail of running is to reach 100 miles a week. And if you're not doing 100 miles a week, you can't possibly be successful. And so athletes are putting for themselves unattainable goals in terms of what they should be doing in training. And you have no idea, you know, this person that's putting in crazy mileage, they're going to, maybe they're going to break next week. Maybe their physiology can just handle that. I mean, that's the thing is that everybody can handle different amounts of training. You know, back in my heyday, I used to train quite a bit and I'd look at other people who are training more and think, oh, how can they possibly handle that? So I think the idea is there's always somebody doing more and something crazier. So you, you can never possibly keep up. I think the other day we were talking a little bit, um, just kind of going back to the mental toughness, in that you've worked with a lot of athletes that just have all the talent in the world, but maybe lack on the mental toughness side. And then there's other athletes that have a lot of mental toughness, but maybe they lack the talent. So as a coach, given the choice, who would you rather work with there? Oh, that's that's a unfair choice. I actually I, I like to work with either because if I can help somebody overcome their personal hurdles, whether it's mental or physical, then I've I've done a good job. I think it's easier per se to work with an athlete who has mental toughness but might lack some of that physical talent. Athletes who are very talented but lack mental toughness, it's incredibly hard to get through to them, to get them that confidence. And when you have talent, it's a little bit easier to go hard all the time and test yourself. And those athletes are very hard to rein back because they just they, they need that boost to their self-confidence on a daily basis that they are good. So they will test themselves regularly. That's a harder athlete to coach. And so... One of the things, um, as you were researching mental toughness and writing the book, you came up with a study called the Sisu study. And so really that's a way for an athlete to take this assessment and it gives them a score, which is essentially their mental toughness score, correct? Correct. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the history of that? Well, I think there were a few things, just curiosity. I have a background in public health with the emphasis on statistics. So I'm always interested in data. And having just written the book on mental toughness and reading a lot of studies about mental toughness, it started my brain churning a little bit. And part of it as well was starting to work with athletes specifically on mental skills training through consultations and wanting an assessment tool to kind of start the conversation and how how tough is this athlete and where are the specific aspects of mental toughness that they need to work on. And so that led to the study of uh, looking at mental toughness and endurance athletes. I 
um, studied uh, over 1,200 athletes and measured eight dimensions of mental toughness. And through the results of that study, I was able to create this algorithm and uh, create then the CSU quiz that people can take to learn their mental toughness and overall score, plus how they do on eight of the different dimensions. And is that the quiz? Is that something that an athlete or a coach would have to pay to take? No, it's free. And we'll put the link in the in the podcast notes. Perfect. Sounds good. Um, and so once somebody's taken this assessment and finds out what their mental toughness score is and how they rank in these eight different dimensions, is that kind of finite? Is that the way it is? Or can that be changed over time through training? I mean, my hope is that it's changed over time through training, that you take the quiz, you find out where you're a little bit less mentally tough, and then you do specific mental skills training as you would for your body. You go out and swim, bike, or run, or whatever training that you do, that you can also train your brain, your mind, your mental toughness on these aspects, things like visualization and, and uh, positive self-talk. Those are things that are learned behaviors, but only if they are practiced and recognized. And so one thing um, you just mentioned, positive self-talk, and that's um, something I was reading about also, and it's, I think you'd brought up just walking through the transition area prior to an Ironman or a triathlon and just hearing the difference between some athletes maybe feeling really confident, but I would say the majority or what I hear actually when I'm walking through there is if I can just survive the swim, if I can just survive the swim, things like that. So what kind of, if you're starting out a race like that, if you've already got this mindset that you're trying to survive, what kind of negative impact could that have on your race and how might you reframe that so you're not just surviving but you're thriving through the swim well you can see how something like i hope i survive the swim has a very negative connotation because there's a possibility i might not survive the swim so i think something better to say would be i know i'm going to get through the swim today or i have worked really hard in my swim i am better than i used to be or I'm a little bit nervous about the swim, but I'm going to have a great day. And if I run into trouble, I'll turn over on my back. So now you have an action plan if something goes wrong. So nothing in those different scenarios are you thinking that I actually might not survive the swim, which is really scary when you have that option of I might not survive. So right off the bat, you are starting off in a, in a mindset that is incredibly detrimental and it's going to make you very nervous. And so, I mean, when you're at the start line, and you're already nervous, and now you're thinking, I might not survive. Just think about how tense and tight the muscles are going to be when the gun goes off. You might start to panic. You might start to hyperventilate. And then maybe you don't finish the swim because it became a self-fulfilling prophecy. So everything has to be about finding ways to relax and keep the muscles loose and the mind loose. And so kind of continuing on with that, um, is there a place like mindfulness seems to be very um, – on vogue right now and you hear a lot about mindfulness is there any place for mindfulness in athletic training and could that possibly help with um, some of these negative thoughts you know you can call it mindfulness meditation visualization i think any or all of them have a place it just depends what the athlete is comfortable with uh, i personally like visualization training and visualization training can be anything it could be just lying in a quiet spot and thinking about your, your perfect race. Or for the person who's afraid of the swim, it's visualizing a calm swim where everything went well and the person was feeling happy and confident and you know not hoping that they're going to survive. So that's a, a visualization that can help calm that person down, and they can do that for other aspects of the race. Uh, but also I like to talk about disaster scenarios, which is probably a little bit, you know, 
counter to meditation itself where you're supposed to be relaxed and a disaster scenario might actually kind of get you pumped up. But for the person who's afraid of swimming, they can visualize, well, what happens if I panic and I start to breathe hard? And then they can visualize themselves holding on to the canoe or to a buoy or turning over on their back or doing breaststroke. So now they're visualizing all of the different options they have if they do get into trouble. And so this also helps with confidence and feeling a little bit calmer. Once somebody gets good at visualization, it can happen at any time. You can visualize during a race. I mean, I often visualize at the end of a race, crossing the finish line and lying down. That, that's something that's very helpful in the later stages of a race when you're tired. Uh, you can visualize what you're going to grab at the next aid station so that you remember to take the Coke and the gel or whatever it is that you need. So it's something that can be used all the time and will really help with some inner peace because you've thought out about a scenario before it occurs. You and I were talking the other day about um, just longer events like Ironman, for example, and we talked about it's a long day and there's a lot of opportunity for things to go wrong. And I know that with some of the athletes I've coached, I had somebody do Leadville 100 last year, and we use that visualization for mechanicals. And just thinking about, okay, you got a flat tire. What are you going to do? Are you going? Are you going to panic? Are you, you know, are you going to be calm? It sounds like that is beneficial to kind of envision things going wrong and then reacting to it in a calm, controlled manner. Right, and I think it's unreasonable to think that if a mechanical happens in the middle of a race, that you're just going to be like, oh, big deal, I got a mechanical. But if you can alleviate some of the stress that happens with a mechanical where maybe your heart rate goes up really high or you start to get really angry or you start to shout or curse or scream, all of those things are going to be more difficult to come back from than saying, crap, I got a mechanical. This is not what I envisioned. This sucks. Let's try and get it fixed. You're going to get it done more quickly. You'll get back in the course and get back into your flow more easily. In the book, you talk about having a greater purpose for racing, and I think that's kind of your why. What is your why for racing? And so how does that apply? And how I think with some of the athletes that I've worked with, sometimes maybe they don't have that, and so they have a really hard time just getting in the mood to train for it or, or something along those lines. So what would be your advice um, to a coach that maybe is working with an athlete that doesn't have a why for their race? Well, I think that you need to determine, is the athlete training just out of habit? And if that's the case, why are they training out of habit or do they need to find something else to do? So one of the things I ask my athletes to do is write down your goals. What are you trying to accomplish this year? Or what are you trying to accomplish over the next few years? And it doesn't have to be just performance related. In fact, it shouldn't be just performance related. I want people to put things in of learning new skills or, you know, achieving a certain fun factor or maybe going to do some race that's more of an adventure than, you know, something else. And so the, the why can be many things and an athlete can have many whys. But if the, the why is very stringent and just super performance oriented, I think it's harder to become and stay very motivated because, you know, if you're boxing yourself into a corner of, I have to qualify for Kona in X amount of time, and then you start feeling like time's running out, and then the training's not fun anymore, and now every workout becomes, you know, a chore, well, that athlete's going to have a hard time staying in the sport. But if the why is, I ultimately, I just love it, and all of the ups and downs are worth it because the social aspect's great, I love testing my body, I love feeling healthy, you know, those are good whys that will help athletes weather storms. Now kind of shifting gears here a little bit, um, just slightly, in your research, did you find there were any differences between with gender and mental toughness? Did you find that women were mentally tougher than men or vice versa? 
Well, I found that, so what I did with my research was I uh, did an analysis that put people into groups of mental toughness. So they they would look at the scores and say, well, this person belongs in group A based on their score, and this person goes in B, and this one goes in C. And then when you look at how that pans out in terms of what their scores are in those eight dimensions, I found that group A, those people are generally high in mental toughness for all of the dimensions, and group B were moderate, and group C were lower. And females fell into that lower group more often than males. And primarily that's because females have lower self-esteem than males, lower confidence, lower self-belief. And that's seen not just in the sport literature, but in the regular literature as well, that women generally have lower self-esteem than men. And part of why I liked being able to create a quiz that people could take to identify their mental toughness weaknesses is that you can find out things like this. Well, my self-esteem is a little bit lower. Well, what can I do to make that better. And for a lot of people, it's basically just separating their self-esteem from their sport and not tying so much into it. And so when you were racing, where do you think you fell on that mental toughness scale? Well, so when I created the CSU quiz, I um, converted people's score, their overall mental toughness score to a martial arts belt system so that, you know, the highest 10% were black belts and you know, so on down the belt levels. And uh, when I took the test, I was a black belt. So I, I have high mental toughness. And and that was in the beginning. Yes. But no, well, you know, for what I de- developed, but I know that I've always had high mental toughness. I've been able to push through a lot. Is there a race that specifically um, kind of sticks out in your mind as far as when that mental toughness really shined through? Well, I think you might be surprised by this. And it's not a race that I won. And it's not... Um, a race that I even did well in, and it would be the 2016 uh, Marathon Olympic Trials. And I would say that I used all the mental toughness that I gained over the years to finish that race. And I'll give you a little bit of history. Um, I ran the 2000 Marathon Trials. Um, I placed, uh, I actually can't remember, somewhere in the top 30, I think. Uh, It was a very tough day, very hot. Uh, But marathoning wasn't my primary sport at that time. I was actually I uh, used it as a tune-up for the triathlon trials, which were in May. In 2009, I had my bike crash, and I retired from the sport at the end of 2010. And uh, I started running more and decided I'd like to run the 2012 Marathon Olympic Trials. Hadn't run an open marathon in 10 years, but it felt like it would be a good goal. And at the last minute, I did achieve that. I ran the Olympic standard uh, at the California International Marathon in December 2011, and the trials were in January. And uh, I, at that time, was having many problems for my ribs, as I do today, and I was unable to finish the race in 2012. I dropped out around mile 20. I was having serious problems breathing and pain and you know all sorts of things, and it was quite disappointing. So when I qualified again for the 2016 trials, I decided I have to finish the race this time, no matter what. I don't care if I walk. I don't care if it takes five hours. I, I want to finish this race. And uh, I found out a few days before the race that I had some abnormal bone growth uh, that was growing behind my sternum. And it was pushing on my diaphragm. And it was very painful. And it was causing some vomiting. And in addition to the rib problems I was already having. So I came up with a strategy to do the race. I, I uh, carried my water bottle with me because I knew it was going to be a hot day. And um, the gun went off. And about 30 seconds later, I was off the back and last. And I just chugged along and did my race. And every time I saw somebody dropping out and walking to the finish, it strengthened my resolve. And sure enough, I was the last female finisher. 
Yeah, it's one of those things where it's it's often the races you remember most are, like you said, it's not that you were on the podium or something like that. It's something where you were able to overcome that adversity and push through. So that's a great story. Now, I, I would say that uh, the reason why I was able to do that and something that I think that athletes really struggle with is ego. And people are like, oh, I don't want to be last. Like, that's always the thing people say, oh, I just don't want to be last. And going into this race, I prepared myself to be last. I knew that that was a distinct possibility. I didn't realize so many people would drop out. I thought that there would be some stragglers in the back that I'd have to run with. But because the conditions were just so brutal, people decided not to continue on. And I was just out there by myself. And, um, you know, I was okay with being last. I just, I let it go. It was incredibly liberating. One thing I've always kind of thought is that, you know, as you start to have those thoughts and you give in to those thoughts, let's say that day if you would have maybe not finished, and then the next time it gets easier to not finish, and the next time it gets easier. And so I feel like there's so much value in that in pushing through and finishing something like that. Would you agree? Or I think it depends on the circumstance. If I had been in trouble health-wise, uh, like I was in 2012 when I was vomiting and I just I was so dizzy I couldn't stand up, I really couldn't finish. So I think that, uh, yes, if you're just giving up and quitting because it just isn't your day or that you are last or, you know, your, your arch rival passed you and you just can't bear to be beat by them, well, those are not good enough reasons to drop out. And I think it probably does become easier in that kind of circumstance where there isn't a health issue to just say, well, I'm going to pack it in today. Um, but again, you know, if, there, if, if it's just a hard day, I like to see it through. If it's a health problem, you got you to gotta stop. So are there any kind of actionable takeaways you would have for a coach that's working with athletes that maybe are lacking in mental toughness or just in general things that you've learned over your career or working with athletes now? If you could give a coach like three tips they could use in their own coaching, what would those be? I think first is just recognizing uh, people's deficiencies in mental toughness. So, you know, coaches are, are free to use my Sisu quiz to – um, look at their athletes and find out specifically where they need some work. So one would be identifying the weaknesses and mental toughness. The other thing is asking athletes, what are you afraid of? What's your biggest fear? Because I don't think people are asked that very often. And then they think about it. And then you can talk it through and realize that the fear really isn't a big fear. So you can take your athlete who's afraid of the swim. Well, maybe the coach really doesn't know the extent of that athlete's fear. So the coach approaches it and says to the athlete, hey, you know, you're going to this Ironman. What's your biggest fear? And the athlete might say, I'm afraid I might not survive the swim. Well, now they can have a whole discussion about it before the race happens. And now the athlete may not have so much anxiety about the swim. Um, I would say the third thing is that a coach doesn't have to be everything for everyone. And so if a coach does have an athlete who is having some mental toughness, toughness difficulties that they cannot help with, don't be afraid to refer them to somebody else. You know, coaches can't be everything. You're not a physical therapist. You're not a doctor. There are specialists for these things, and there are specialists to work on mental toughness. And I, I think as we were um, recording the course the other day, you had said something about you you don't always need to be an expert, but you need to be able to recognize when somebody could benefit from an expert. And that really resonated with me because I know you do feel that pressure as a coach to be a bike fitter and a psychologist and a physiologist and strength and conditioning coach and all these things. And sometimes that's hard. And so it's good to know, especially coming from somebody like yourself, that you don't have to be all those things. You just need to be able to reach out and kind of, I 
think build a team of experts that you can rely on and refer people to. Exactly. Aside from your own book, do you have any recommended resources for coaches to either learn about mental toughness or things that you found valuable in your own coaching or even in um, other areas of your life that you would recommend? I've learned a lot from uh, different sites that I follow on Twitter, like some different sports psychology sites. Um, I can't think of the name. Believe Perform is one of them. And they're always putting out new articles with with interesting insights into mental toughness. One of the things I really like to do, though, is listen to podcasts and read interviews from athletes because they say very insightful things. And sometimes they'll say something that will spark something in my brain and I'll go to like Google Scholar to see if I can find some research on it. Or Psychology Today has a lot of great, you know, mental toughness type articles. But the athletes themselves are really the bearers of the best wisdom. Based on that, and I want to go back to kind of your own athletic career, and you said you overcame a lot of adversity and things like that. And so one thing I've been curious about is, have you seen any correlation with people that maybe have to deal with adversity early in life? Do they maybe fare better when it comes to mental toughness and in sports? And again, it's all anecdotal at this point, but I've seen it with several athletes that maybe they've had to deal with a lot of stuff earlier in life but it seems to help them when it comes time to push through in sport. Have you seen that at all? You know, I, I, co- I coach a lot of older athletes, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Nobody's gotten to that age without something happening. And so I think you can take parallels from how they've dealt with life adversity and how they deal with sport adversity. There's no question that some of the traits of uh, mental toughness cross different, you know, different aspects of life, whether it's how you deal with things at work or with your family or social things. And so I, I would definitely agree with that. And, and the other thing is, you know, there are some genetic components to mental toughness. Not everyone has the same level of determination or perseverance or motivation. And so, you know, some things can be taught, some are going to be innate, you can fine tune them, you don't want to definitely pigeonhole somebody that well, you're not a motivated person. But you know, you've coached a lot of people, you've seen a lot of athletes, you know that levels of motivation are very variable. So could you speak a little bit to, um, you just said that you work with a lot of athletes that are maybe in their 40s and 50s. And I, we kind of see that here at Training Peaks that the demographic are um, kind of middle aged people that have more disposable income, and they're getting into endurance sport later in life. And so can you kind of speak to the mental toughness of the aging athlete? Well, it's interesting because you actually mentioned two different types of aging athlete. You've got athletes that are coming in at an older age versus people that have been athletes their whole lives and are getting older. And it's going to be very different for the two because if you get into the sport when you're 40, your room for improvement could go much longer than somebody that's been doing it for 30, 40 years already. You know, if you've got a 50-year-old that started running at 10, you know, their capacity to improve up till 50 is going to be very different than somebody that only has 10 years under their belt. One of the things I hear all the time is way back when, or I used to be able to, or I was so fast, or gosh, I remember back in the day, I could get on the track and I could do six by a mile at five minute pace. And, you know, I think people spend a lot of time uh, ruminating on what they used to be able to do. And it's great to have that in your bank. And but it's not something that you should be looking at very often because number one, you'll never be that fast again. 
But number two, those are the building blocks that are making you able to do what you can do now. So I think people really look at it the wrong way. They're looking at it as I'm slowing down. Not that, well, those are the things I used to do that allow me to be as fast as I am compared to my peers today. And it's very negative and detrimental to, to people that they just get so depressed over, oh, I'm just so slow. And yeah, okay, you're not as fast as you were, but you know maybe you can um, delay the process so that each year you're not slowing down as much as somebody else might be. And you can only compare yourself to who you are now or maybe six months ago. But if you start digging into the archives and you know, you're 50 and you want to be as fast as you were when you're 40, it's going to be very difficult and you're going to be disappointed. So it's got to be a total reframing of what your goals are. And they can't be that I want to be better than I was 10, 15 years ago, if you're in that age group where the slowdown is inevitable. And so that speaks to those athletes who have always been athletes and are now aging and not as fast as they used to be. And how might you address that with somebody that's just coming into the sport? And and so they're not, they don't have anything to base it on. You said they have a lot of room for improvement, but I, I almost feel like kind of in my experience, and I think about one athlete that I worked with as an example, he would finish a 10K and he'd tell me, oh, it, it felt great. I was comfortable. <laughs> and I'd try to tell him, like, like until he could hurt, he was never going to reach his potential. But for him, a good race was feeling comfortable. You know, how do you address that with an athlete? And I, for me personally, it always came down to, well, what are your goals? You know, if you, if you do want to perhaps podium one day, things like this, it's going to require going to that space, you know, and having to deal with that. But um, so how would you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, I think along those lines, I mean, athletes who are getting into the sport later in life with no history of athletics, they have to learn how to push themselves. And that needs to be done in training by by giving workouts that take them way out of their comfort zone and maybe starting with, you know, very short intervals and make them go very hard so they know what it feels like to have, you know, their legs burning and their heart pumping and that they're not going to die when that happens. And so you just kind of introduce it in small increments so that they learn how to suffer that the athletes need. Now, the goal may not be that I need to work that hard. It might just be that I'm having fun and that's what I want to continue to do and be healthy. So a lot just depends on the individual athlete. But for an athlete coming in that, that has aspirations, it's, it's a matter of teaching all the skills of not just the sport itself, but you know how to pace and how to suffer and the confidence and all those things are going to be very new. So that brings up another good point is with um, perceived exertion. And I've found that with newer athletes, um, you know, they, they're starting out and maybe you're asking, okay, on a scale of one to 10, how hard was it? And everything's a 10, no matter what they do, it's a 10. And so I, how do you deal with that with, especially when we have so many devices now and people are so fixated on that, how do you maybe calibrate that perceived exertion with what's actually happening? Well, I'll be, I'll be honest to begin with. I'm not a huge fan of heart rate training, except in some circumstances. If you have athletes just, that just cannot go easy enough, you strap on a heart rate monitor and tell them you can't go above this. But I think for this circumstance, a heart rate monitor would be important as well because the athlete then gets the feedback of, well, my heart's not really beating that fast. I, I can't possibly be at a 10 exertion. And so that can help teach them you know, how to vary their, their pacing and their exertion and what that really means by their heart rate telling them, okay, SOS, your heart rate's really high. And then they understand that's what a 10 feels like. 
So again, thank you for joining us today. We could talk about this all day long. Um, So much great information, but you have the book, which people should definitely go read, The Champion Mindset, um, Athlete's Guide to Mental Toughness. And then you've also got the online course, which should be available soon. Everybody should definitely check those both out because not all the information in the book is in the course, and there's a lot of good information in the course that's not in the book. So Joanna, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Hey guys, Dave Shell here again. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Joanna and learned a few different ways that you can improve mental toughness in your athlete. You can find all the resources we talked about as well as links to Joanna's website and the Sisu quiz on the Training Peaks blog. Also, this is our third episode of the Training Peaks Coachcast and we hope you've been enjoying what you've been hearing so far. We have a lot of exciting things planned for the future, but we want to hear your feedback. You can give us your feedback by subscribing through your favorite service such as iTunes or Stitcher, giving us a rating, and leaving some comments, or tweet to us at Training Peaks. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.